0: One of my favorite verses, Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, then the nations that are left around about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Now that's not the verse that I had picked, but I wrote down the wrong verse. But how about that? I read verse 36 that's a good verse that's my second favorite I'm off to an amazing start because all the word is powerful I could have just faked it and thought like hey isn't that a great word and uh, but I I have unfeigned faith so I'm not gonna fake it but I do love that verse let's read it out loud then the nations that are left around about you will know that I the Lord have built the ruined places and planted that which was desolate I the Lord I've spoken and we'll do it. Good word, I accidentally spoke a great word. Now verse 26, how about that? The Lord will prophesy through you, sometimes accidentally. Moreover, he said, I will give you a new heart. This is my verse. In fact, I did write 26, but I was attracted to 36 for some reason. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. Everybody say a new heart. A new heart. Now that's really needed. And Ezekiel, the Jewish prophet, understood that because Adam messed things up. He said, I'd put a new spirit within you. Say that, and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Hallelujah. This is the bold prophetic proclamation that inevitably and eventually a redeemer will come and undo all the garbage that Adam and Eve, unfortunately and sadly, released into humanity, and that the last Adam would come and bring things into resolve. And I want you to understand that when you get a hold of this, it's going to put a joy in your spirit, and excitement in your heart. It's going to expand your expectancy about other promises from God, because this, my friends, is the big, big deal. Redemption has come, and there's a possibility not just of self-actualization, not just self-improvement. I mean, we'll buy a house and we'll paint the walls. I mean, I bought a house where there was a smoker and I got Kills uh, coverage paint and then I got uh, multi-layers of paint and I finally got the cigarette smoke out of it. But, you know, those walls were still soaked with nicotine. But there's nothing like tearing out and building up a brand new thing. And that's what Jesus came to bring new life, new beginnings, new possibilities. He said, I make all things new. And we're going to talk about this today. Everybody say, new hearts. That's a big deal. Now, you can write this theological term down. Adam passed down a big problem. Adam passed down a big problem. And without going into a lot of detail in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when God created everything, it was beautiful, it was very good, he gave Adam and Eve something called free will. And that was a gift to humanity and is a gift, but it also... Created a potential for disobedience, rebellion, and a problem, which inevitably and sadly, Lucifer tricked Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, tried to get them to use their authority in the wrong way, and they actually forfeited, with high treason, their provision and authority, and and they didn't, God didn't give it to Lucifer, Uh, Adam and Eve forfeited it, and Lucifer became the god of this world. That's why it's harsh and there's so many problems. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Second Corinthians 4.4 is true when they describe, Paul describes the devil as the small g God of this world. It's important we understand that. We who know God to be sovereign and holy within the context of his sovereignty and holiness has delegated authority to man. Man forfeited it and Satan temporarily has it. Jesus came into the earth to destroy the work of the devil and give us the keys to the kingdom, to bind and loose, to take authority in the name of Jesus, to go out and win souls. He said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church has withstood many, many things. We pioneered a church over there in Kosovo. It took a lot of labor. It's one of the strong points in the the Balkans. And they have overcome uh, shutdowns and COVID, and they've overcome... An atmosphere that's anti-God, anti-Christ, and yet the Jesus is prevailing, and you're about to see some even up, greater upturn in that house. I'm going to see some great upturn in this house. I've had the privilege of pastoring this church from its beginning, and I've watched the seasons. And the Lord assured me years ago when I was questioning some of my bad steps and good steps and medium steps, mediocre steps. You ever do that? Don't over-question. Don't second-guess, but Because what God spoke to me is he said, you'll be where you need to be when you need to be there. I mean, that didn't uh, advocate sloppiness. It didn't advocate inconsistency. God doesn't advocate those things. But what he's saying is, I'm going to work stuff out because I'm God and I love you uh, with an everlasting love and I'm building my church. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You are my disciple and I'm the author and the finisher of your faith and I have a plan for you, and I'm gonna bring it to pass. Who can say amen to that? Amen. That's really important when you understand how good that is. So now, let's go in and spend the remainder of our time looking at the contrast of that heart of stone, old nature, and a new heart, a new heart, a new creation. And I want you to go into Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians chapter two, is uh, epic. It's epic. Now, while you're turning there, I'm going to read two verses to you. So if you're a note taker, you're going to be using both hands to turn pages and then one thumb to hold a page and then another hand to write notes. So I'm trying to see if you can sprout an extra arm here. And it basically, two scriptures in the New Testament, Galatians 6.15 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. Galatians 6.15. In the context, he's talking about circumcision and uncircumcision, the Jew and the Gentile, the law and liberty and freedom in Christ. And he's doing contrast there. But then he says, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. He said, that old framework is now eclipsed by but a new creation. Everybody say, but a new creation. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17 hopefully is embedded in your memory. If anyone is in Christ, you become a new creation. The old things pass away, and behold, look, see, observe, notice, ponder, absorb, get a hold of this. New things have come. I'm a new creature preacher. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We've just gone through a couple weeks of righteousness teaching. Uh, In righteousness, it said in Psalm 512, the Lord will bless the righteous man. He'll surround him with favor as with a shield. Now, a couple other verses in Isaiah 32 and 47. The effect of righteousness will be peace. You can have peace with God. We're going to look at Romans 5 if we have time today. That we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to establish peace where God and sinner are reconciled. You ever reconcile your bank account? The reconciliation means things are made Right. And righteousness basically means we've been made right with God. There's something wrong with humanity. There was something wrong with me and you and us before we became Christians. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Hear the word of the Lord. Look at, look at the second chapter of Ephesians. And let's read some of these verses here. Now, I'm reading New American Standard. I know you're reading different translations, so highlight those things. It said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, the King James utilized some different uh, texts, and it said, and, but you hath he quickened. It starts out with that. But, but in New American Standard, it said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Eventually, it says about how he quickens us, brings us and makes us alive. I watched them save uh, my friend who crashed in the boat. He was 10 minutes from bleeding out, and they resuscitated him. They, they revived him. I watched him. I was in one bed in the ICU. He was in another. I watched them help him. They worked on him all night. They saved his life. There's something about watching the depiction of people saving people's lives. I get an inspiration from that. And, uh, but all that pales in comparison to the Lord coming in and saving. A dead in trespasses and sin. Sin-soaked. Condemnation-choked. Distorted. Warped. Lost. Sinner you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We did a concert at Merrimack College back in the 70s. And uh, a guy got up, we were singing and playing and preaching and passing out tracks and we had a lot of liberty. And uh, a big crowd gathered and and it was great music. And uh, the the musicianship and the excellence drew the the listeners. And the guy said, you know, listen, I I don't wanna offend you but the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You could have heard a pin drop and, uh, and they were, he wasn't condemning him. He's clarifying, you really need Jesus. You know, you're drowning in the deep end of the pool and you really need Jesus. He said, in which, now, in the case of the Ephesians, they've come out of darkness, out of bondage. And he says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That's the devil, the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. These verses explain to the ancient Christians, 2000 years ago, why things were so unpleasant, why the world was what it was, and this is clarifying, it is what it is. It's lost, it's being governed by a spirit that is at work in the sons and daughters of disobedience. And I love, though, however, this contrast. He says, you were dead and you formerly walked. He puts the things into tenses. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. This was habitual. This was our lifestyle. This is what we ran toward. This is what we were enslaved to. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we couldn't get out of it. There was nothing that we could do to improve it. We had to have that Ezekiel 26 36 experience or thirty-six twenty-six, where he takes away a stony heart and gives us a heart of flesh and puts a new spirit in us for God being rich in mercy look at somebody and say aren't you glad God's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions oh hallelujah you should really be happy about that not when we got to a certain point of piety not to where we were improving ourselves, not to where we got a little bit holy and we were kind of getting more religious. And then at a certain point, God was, was pleased with our religiosity and then he said, Now I can save you. No, no, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were lost. In fact, don't turn to this, but in Titus chapter 3, 5, it says, He saved us, look at this, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. But according to his mercy, it was a gift. God did us a favor. That's what favor is. He did us a favor by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. There are people in here that have been walking with God for a while and are very kind. They're walking in the fruit of the Spirit. They're patient. Their temper has been modified. They, They are thinking differently. Their habits have changed. You wouldn't know how harsh their lives were before they became Christians in this very house, I remember an elderly man that was very elegant, hardworking, been through things like the depression and the war and all kinds of things like that, built a family, built a business and things like that, but was foul-mouthed, was lost, was harsh. But upon receiving Jesus, it was like God put a bar of ivory soap in his spirit and he was washed and he was renewed. He instantly stopped swearing because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He was so fascinated that it wasn't he had changed because he had had a heart change. Now, I do remember a guy named Eddie that Patsy and I found who was suicidal one night. We prayed, God, bring us to someone close to eternity. We literally prayed, Lord, if there's anybody out there with suicidal notions, show us and guide us. We found a guy named Eddie, and Eddie, we, he, was, he, just, he, he was surprised. We had like a word for him, and he was like, how'd you know that? How, who talked to you? And, and we said, well, we prayed, and you know, today's your day, Eddie, and, and we, we led Eddie in the sinner's prayer, and Eddie gave his heart to Jesus. I took him to a meeting, in the church I was working in, there was a guest speaker, marvelous guest speaker, but there was no room on the bottom floor, so we took him up in the balcony, and Eddie sat up there, a brand new, new creature in Christ. I mean brand new. So while he was sitting up there, unlike the elderly guy, his vocabulary wasn't totally refined yet. So when the preacher would say something outstanding, which was often, he was preaching on fire, Eddie would say an expletive instead of a hallelujah, instead of an amen. Because, I mean, when you get born again in your spirit, your your mind still needs to be renewed. Your body has not been really kept under yet. It's, It's something that has to be a living sacrifice presented daily before the Lord, right? Everybody say Eddie said some funny things. He, he, he would say stuff and I'd be, I, I mean, my toes would curl up and people would be looking, that who is saying that? But I think God got a kick out of it because he knew what he meant. He had never heard anything like that. In fact, had he heard it before, it would have been into dull ears. Now, all of a sudden, the eyes of his understanding are enlightened. He's a new creature. So when the guy was saying something that was meaningful to him, he just, he'd slap his knee, look over at us, he'd say a word, it would be like... But it was like, aren't you glad God is so full of understanding and he makes somebody new on the inside. Let's get back to this verse. It says in verse five, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Everybody say dead or alive. Oh, so many of those westerns, you know, where the posse would be assigned to go out and retrieve the criminal. And they would have a $5,000 reward, dead or alive, you know. Well, in God, he makes us transition out of death into life. And I've had the privilege, when I watched Eddie get saved, he later, he died, but he didn't die in his sins, he was saved. I watched people in this church, a man that announced to me, for example, that he was a Buddhist. I talked to another guy that was a secular Jew and a practitioner of Buddhism for 35 years and a genius, a medical doctor genius. And I, and I watched a guy that lived in India for a period of time and he, was, he acknowledged to me uh, politely that he was an agnostic. I'm enthralled. I think this is my favorite thing in life. Somebody, Louis just showed me some giant salmon that they caught. He and his son, Mark Stevenson. I love coming to church, you know, so he's going to show me his pride and joy. And it's like these fish, you know, and that is grandchildren. I, the grandchildren, too, but look at these fish. And then, he, and then Louis said, uh, hold them way out like this. But they were on the dock, and the sun was hitting them, and the shadow didn't lie. The fish were really not that big, you know. So the shadows. Look at somebody say, shadows don't lie. Yet God has pulled us out of the shadows. Hallelujah. And you're his prize. Now I tied all that together. I just had to give a shout out to Louis. And, and, and the benefits and the joys and the security that come from this contrast. You were dead in your sins. Now you're made alive by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him. Look at this. And this is something we need to understand. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus heaven's going to be heaven because Jesus Christ is there heaven is going to be heaven because we're going to be so thrilled and so rejoicing over what the Lord has done and the mercy that he has shown verse 8 by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast That's the fascinating thing about the Buddhist. Practitioner, very disciplined form of Buddhism. And he would meditate for hours in certain positions and he labored at it. He's a neuroscientist, he labored for decades in his career. He's written books that are the signature uh, research books that other neuroscientists uh, study from. And I, I recognized I was standing before an intellectual giant I was standing before somebody that has been steeped in certain flavors of philosophy and it, I looked at it and I thought it's not going to be cuteness or, or it's not going to be cleverness, it's not going to be sophistication, it's not going to be me trying to pull up a bunch of intellectualism that's going to that's entice or touch this man's life. It's the simplicity and purity of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. So I watched this Japanese guy. I said, come to the church. He came for a couple of years. It's fascinating how sometimes people's processes don't just happen in one altar call. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's a process. Everybody say a process. I remember when Joe Stoldryer came with Vicky. He was such a servant, just as a person. And he, I knew his name, first name basis. I remember him hauling hay bales back and forth during a, a harvest party. And hey, Joe, how's it going, man? And he hadn't been born again yet. And there was a religious couple in the church from the church they had gone to before. She got up in his face and said, I'll tell you, Joe, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. And he turned to Vicky and said, look, if that happens anymore, I'm not coming back. So I bowed up, you know, I prayed for that lady, said, like, "Please, this is a process here." He's not you, you can't draw him with vinegar. And you bark and pointing your bony religious finger at this guy, he's in a process. Come on. God is at work here. This mom, this wife and mom have been praying. This church is here to be receptive to someone in a process like that. You don't just go up and try to slam down. One time I was witnessing out in the streets, and I was talking to a, a person that was initially really resistant. And I, they thought I was there because of their, past, their lifestyle. I said, no, no, I'm here because there are people here. And you're important. You matter. They didn't believe me. So I said, look, I'm not here implying that your sin is worse than other people's sin. My sin is the worst, the sin I hate the most. And Jesus washed me and cleansed me. I'm a new creature. I was formerly in this position. I put off the old man. I'm a new creature in Christ. And you can be too. And they went, what? And I began to explain this to him, and be, God was anointing it, we were laughing, the guards were dropping, the prejudicial feelings were breaking, the ice was melting, until a sort of dysfunctional young man came by, you know, dysfunctional people could come into church and never change and function and manifest dysfunction and act like it's spiritual, and act like they're more spiritual than everybody else, when in fact they have, uh, they have mental issues. Now, there's a big percentage of the society that has mental problems, and and when they come into the church and they refuse to change, they use Christianity as a cover rather than a cleanser, Uh, they could carry those things through 30 years of church, and it's always problematic for the pastor and always a festering, infectious thing in the house. God will purge that, and if they don't repent, they go somewhere else, and hopefully they'll get changed before they die. But this guy didn't change came over, put his hand over my shoulder, and I saw this hand pointing at this person right up in their nose, and right up by my face. If you don't repent, you're gonna go to hell. And I just watched right before my eyes. This person's walls come back up. Eyes shut, ears shut, heart get hardened. That person looked at him, looked at me, and that was the end of my witness. That was the end of my moment. Because it st- why? Because it stopped being good news, and it entered into religious harshness. It re- entered into judgmentalism. It entered into a, a bias and a, and a disposition toward harshness. And this is why I'm preaching this foundational teaching, because in 2 Corinthians 5, which is a hallmark verse here, if anyone's in Christ, he, he or she's a new creation. The old things pass away. All things become new, and all these things are of God. And then... Um, He's given us the ministry of reconciliation and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Guys, that was not the word of reconciliation. When that bony arm with that bony hand with that dysfunctional, broken family, divorce, never resolved. Later that guy never came to church, was hurt, hurtful to his wife. My brother got real, tried to protect her in this situation. Then he had, they had children. Then they dumped off one of his kids here in youth group for about four years, didn't even come to our church, the kid had problems, and we tried our best to help that kid for the period of time that he was a teenager, and then they, he moved on, and then it just never quite resolved. You know, when you're a minister for 40 years, you see things. you got to pray for your pastor that they stay sweet, because those things can make you so weary and so hard, hard, hurt that you could be governed by apprehension and hurt, and you just start, you, it's something you could pray for leadership to stay on the love walk and stay sweet. Because after so many of those, it's like you get battle fatigued. It's like you get, you don't want to become, have compassion fatigue. You don't want to become hard-hearted, right? That's why I love Ezekiel 36, 26. He'll take the stony heart out. He'll give us a heart of flesh. That implies a tender heart. And uh, he'll give you a new spirit. And I'm a new creature preacher. So when that Buddhist guy said, right, that Buddhism is up the devil, what would that have done? He'd have been getting this stuff together and walking out and never come back. Joe, you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. Well, of course he is. That's why we're working to lead him to the Lord. And in 1995, Joe gave his heart to the Lord Jesus, and he's a robust, sincere, authentic, mighty man of God. The research scientist became a Christian. Pastor John Moore baptized him. He came up to me like a child and said, this is my first communion. And I thought, wow. This is his first time receiving communion. Well, we gave, we serve communion often, you know, once or twice a month at least, for all those years that he was here, and he didn't receive communion because of his principle. See, a person on the sidewalk had a lifetime of darkness and confusion, and God's the God of peace and not confusion, and God was melting that person's heart, and light was being provided. But then that person that was dysfunctional, mental illness, unwilling to change, rebellious. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And man, I'm telling you, rebellion in the church is a problem. And so, uh, you know, this is where we're at in this, about one third of the way in a revival right now. These are the things the Lord is resolving. And what God's mandated to me on Sunday mornings, you guys online, is to lay a good, solid foundation. Who God is. Who we are in Christ. What we have because of Him. The power of the name of Jesus. The impact of the Holy Spirit on the life of a believer. The new birth. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Healing and so forth. Righteousness is such a powerful When You understand, I've been made a new creation. I can stand before the Lord without the sense of condemnation because there is none for those who are in Christ. I'm telling you, meditate on Ephesians chapter 2. Because I am not going to be able to finish my whole point here. But I want to get you back to verse 8. And then we're going to just slam dunk it down to a few more verses. And I want to show you some contrast. What did did the thief come to do in John 10.10? Came to steal, kill, and destroy. Only. Only. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Everybody say abundant life. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, We're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. I think about that as an individual, and I'm excited about those opportunities. Aren't you? I'm listening to the Good Shepherd and wanting to be led by the Holy Spirit, don't you? And I want to be fruitful. I want to bring honor to him, don't you? And this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. I want to pray in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I want to be in the right proximity and in the right timing with the right people. I want to engage conversationally with the right people. I don't want to misspend my energies. None of us do. And this puts us on task with, well, we are God's work of art. We are God's masterpiece, it says in the New Living Translation. And that God has created us, uh, Daniel eleven thirty two, for exploits, supernatural purposes. Therefore, remember the, that formerly, you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, He's talking to Gentiles who weren't part of the covenant. Listen how he elaborates and enumerates this. In verse 1, he says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. He says it again in verse 5. Then it gets here in verse 12, and he says that they were four distinct things. He said they were separate, excluded, strangers, and had no hope and were without God. Actually, five things. He said, at that time, you were separate from from Christ, separated There was a chasm between us and God. That's what I was trying to build on the street there with that person when I was talking. A bridge. So they could traverse that bridge to come to Jesus. Like with Eddie, where Eddie was suicidal. Eddie was on drugs. Eddie needed Christ. And he got saved and became a new creature. Got up in the balcony and shouted alternate amens during the service. And uh, changed. His life changed. Joe came here, he's serving, putting hay bales up for the harvest party, terrific first-name basis with him. The Japanese research scientist came here because his wife was a Baptist from Japan, and she had some issues, and he did did not want to, he thought maybe she'll get help at church, so I want to help her in church by bringing her to church. She told me, in the Japanese culture, I'm a failure as a wife. I said, what do you mean? He's lost face because I've been ashamed. And I I said, well, in Christ, you know, I, I couldn't understand the Japanese culture, male, female. I couldn't understand that. But I did learn some from what she was saying. But yet, he didn't care about that. He wanted to help his wife. I turned to him. I said, you know what? In a lot of ways you're a better husband than a lot of Christian guys I know. He said, really? I said, you're, you're going out of your way. You're a Buddhist and you're bringing your wife to church because you wanna, you think it might help her? Same thing with the, the agnostic. He said, he told me in the hospital, he said, I do not wanna stand in the way of her faith. I'm not a believer, but I don't wanna get in the way of her faith. And she was on her deathbed. She was, she, there was that radiation warning on the door and you know, she was on and chemo and all that stuff, a radiation jackie uh, she she he, he went to dillard's and bought her a beautiful sundress with a matching hat he bought he had i when i it, it, she came he would wheel her in and in and, and he, here he is he said i just i i don't i want her and she rededicated her life to the lord but she looked me in the eye i looked her in the eye that wasn't enough for jackie jackie wanted jim to come to christ So we took that blue chair off the end and let her sit in the wheelchair and Jim sat right there in my chair. We pulled away Patsy's chair and let him sit there. And then on a a Sunday, I got to have an altar call. Jim raised his hand, Jim stood up and I could look over at Jim who was an agnostic, spent time in India, had a lot of philosophy, was an intelligent, educated man. At that point he had lived a lot of life already. And I could look at Jackie and I could look at Jim and I could see him making that decision and I could see her barely concealing her joy. She was reserved, but she was just so happy. And Jim came forward and asked Jesus to come into his life. Everybody say two days later. Tuesday, he called me. I drove up. He lived in one of these houses up here. I drove up there. said, I come here. Pastor Jeff, I think Jackie's passed. I said, okay, I'll be right there. I raced up there. Before he called the family, before he called the morgue, before he called the doctor, he called me for some reason. And I got up there and I checked and I said, I said, she's gone, she's, she's died. And I've told this to the church, but I, it's hard for me to tell you what impact this was. He and I stood in that room there with, with Jackie having passed and he grabbed me by the shoulders. And he got saved, remember, about 48 hours before. And he squeezed my shoulders so tight that it hurt. But he wasn't trying to hurt me. He was so excited. And here's what he said. I know there's a God because he's comforting me right now. And it was so deep. And it was so big. That, that, that And he's been serving the Lord ever since. He's been serving the Lord ever since and you're equipped and anointed. And I hope you understand this. You've been committed the word of reconciliation. It's interesting, embedded in this message. It's a a mystery. I'm not gonna pretend to have it all all figured out, but that we communicate the truth with God's inspiration and the Holy Spirit. He takes it and it's like incorruptible seed and it goes down into the soil of a heart and he germinates it and activates it. We plant water, but God causes the growth. That's why when the lady said to to, to, to Joe, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. In a religious mindset, we got to put a rush on this guy. What are you doing coming to... What kind of job are you doing, Pastor Jeff, that it would take two years to lead that guy to the Lord? Or Dr. Richard Eisner, two years. Whoa, 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 How? How... Uh, how weak how weak was that evangelistic anointing that's what religious people would think on the other hand god's going i'm not weak toward you i'm mighty in you my word doesn't return empty without accomplishing what it's been sent to do and, I, and a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years and some sow and plant and some water and we go home and we wonder and we don't we're not we're not responsible for convicting people the holy spirit will convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment Was I done 10 minutes ago? Let's all stand up on our feet. I want you to shout and rejoice. I want you to say this with me. I am complete in him. I am alive with Christ. I am free from sin. I am far from oppression and fear. I am born of God and the evil one does not touch me. I am holy and without blame before him in love. I have the mind of Christ. See, I do, I do and, and I'm gonna quote the right Ezekiel verse in the next uh, meeting. You were the guinea pigs that helped me work through all that. I wanna thank you, first service. I get preaching better through the day. Now I want you to lift up both hands, say, I am a minister of reconciliation. I carry the love of Jesus to a harsh world. Our church is an oasis in the desert Jesus makes all things new my prayers work when I share the gospel it works when I walk in love signs and wonders follow I forgive everybody we're moving in a new level revival is coming harvest is coming healing is flowing out joy is mounting up victory has come I am equipped trained and sent into a crazy world and i'm full of faith in jesus name amen god bless you guys go out and have a good day hallelujah